Hello and welcome back to the show is Ben and Adela. Today we have a very special guest with us. She's Adela's current PhD supervisor and she has many years of research and supervisory experience. Her research focuses on various aspects of cardiovascular disease. Please welcome Dr. Natalie Ward. So Nat, thank you so much for making the time and joining us on the show today. Um, it really does mean a lot to us. Um, we're really interested in hearing about your PhD experience when you were a student and get some insights onto the role of a supervisor as well. And of course, you'll spill some tea on the best and worst students you've ever had and dish out some advice for success. Cool. So now we'll start off with uh, an introductory question, which we've actually asked most of the guests that have come through our show. Slightly tricky. We struggled with it in the beginning as well. Yeah. What does education mean to you? Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on the show. <laughs> Big fan, obviously. Um, yeah, it's a, that is a tough question. I'm not sure it's something you can answer easily. I certainly don't think you can condense it down to a degree or a period of study. I think education is something that's an ongoing process forever in all its forms so it's basically constantly challenging yourself to learn and try new things to me oh i really that like that good, yeah i like that you mentioned it's not just the degree because you know when you think education you think maybe school uni tafe but like you're learning outside of yeah, that environment just, as well it's like your hobbies and um... how to be a good person yeah, <laughs> absolutely and i think also that even if you learn something in a degree, it's got applications to other things outside that subject matter as well. So, you know, what you learn in a PhD isn't just about the subject of your PhD, it's skills that you can use for other things in life as well, so. Hopefully so. Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right, so yeah. on that note, take us back to your PhD. What was your, well, even before that, I guess, your undergrad, why did you do a PhD? What was it like? Uh, it was a long time ago, so... <laughs> Not that long, um, don't it, be silly. It was, actually. So, <laughs> but, so my undergrad degree was done in Canberra, um, which was a science degree at ANU. And I always knew I was moving to Perth, so I sort of started looking around for things to do over here and managed to jag a summer research scholarship at UWA, which is really, really nerdy. <laughs> but, anyway, they, they flew me over here for six weeks to do that. Um, and then through that period of time, I actually met who would become my PhD supervisor, but... I didn't really have any firm plans to do a PhD. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was applying for jobs, um, most notably a job in Port Hedland, which I applied for because I assumed Port Hedland was somewhere near Fremantle. Oh, wow. <laughs> so when I got the interview, I looked it up on a map and realized actually, no, that wasn't going to be what I was going to make. So um, that kind of fell by the wayside, but I did get offered a chance to do a PhD. And I didn't really have anything else on the book, so I thought, why not do it? Okay. <laughs> I did. Okay. So, yeah, it was a bit random, but it was good, and I certainly don't regret doing it. I hope since then you've looked up on a map where your potential <laughs> job might be. Yeah, pretty much, and it's safe to say the furthest north I've still been is Joondalup, which, yeah, Port Hedland was obviously a long way north of that. So, yeah, right. Yeah. And, and so... You know, how did you find working with your supervisor? What was your project and how did you kind of find it? 
Um, yeah, it was really good. In, um, I had a really great supervisor. I had three supervisors, but my main primary one was really good and I still work with him to this day, um, you know, wow. 20 plus years later. <laughs> um, but it was interesting in that I had come from a chemistry sort of biology background um, and didn't really do any kind of clinical research. Uh, and even my honours year had focused more on chemistry but related to cancer. And when I took up my PhD, it was all clinical and cardiovascular disease. So it was, you know, throw me into the deep end. I knew absolutely nothing about it. I don't think I even knew the chambers of the heart or anything like that. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a, it's an interesting learning experience. And um, it was tough, no doubt, for a lot of it, but it was certainly worth it. And I learned a whole heap of stuff in it. And I love it. And I've stayed in it ever since. So cardiovascular disease is my passion it's now. Your, it's yeah. your calling. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about calling, what <laughs> I like to do, so. Yeah, okay. And um, I think that segues into, I guess, the rest of your career, like what happened after your PhD? So I guess afterwards, I knew I wanted to stay in research then. So the PhD was good in that it really sort of confirmed for me that I really loved research and that's what I wanted to do long term. Um, and that so when I finished my PhD, I kind of ended up working for my supervisor, um, knowing that I was going to apply for a postdoc overseas, but I just needed to buy a couple of years um, at the time and then applied for a postdoc overseas and, and went and did that in America um, and then came back to UWA and continued working in research. And it's been, I've been really lucky in terms of having support and funding for my work um, for most of it, which has been tough to get, but it's been there. So it's allowed me to sort of stay working in research essentially since I finished my PhD, so. Oh, wow. Definitely, that's amazing, being able to do a bit of your research over here in Australia and have the opportunity to travel to America. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and I mean, they encourage you to do an overseas postdoc if you can, just so you can leave the lab you've worked for, get some experience, different way of thinking, all of that kind of stuff. But it's also a great opportunity to travel, and I certainly <laughs> travelled and shopped yeah. a lot in America, oh. so that was great. And, yeah, at the time, my husband also got a posting over there, so it worked out really well for both of us, and, yeah, it was good fun. Wow, so it was meant to be. Yeah, it's nice when things line up. Yeah, I mean, which is not to say it was without its challenges, and I certainly am not sure I'd work with the person I worked with over there ever again. <laughs> without naming any names. <laughs> yeah, but, it, you know, I guess I learnt a lot from that as well because, you know, you talk about supervisors and mentors and what makes a good one, but I think it's also important to learn from the bad ones because that tells you what you don't want to do or be like as you then become a supervisor. So I certainly learnt a lot from that process. That's actually a really good point, isn't it? You've got yeah. to see the good and the bad and then decide that obviously you don't want to be anything like the bad. Yeah, and I think it's it's almost important to experience both sides so that you can learn from that in some way. So no. if you're going on to be a supervisor, yeah, it sucks at the time, don't get yeah. me wrong, but it's There's always something to learn. Yeah, there was something someone. I could take from it. So yeah. It's a bit of a throwback to what education means to you almost. Yeah, yeah, it is actually. It kind of ties into that. So, yeah, you've got to get the good and the bad. So, see both sides of the coin. Interesting. Um, I know this wasn't kind of something that we wanted to touch on, but you mentioned getting some funding for your research and things like that. For some of our listeners who may not know how researchers get funding, could you tell us a little bit about how that works as a researcher? Yeah, so if you work in full-time research, typically you don't get employed by a university, which I think is probably a surprise to a lot of people um, that you don't, yeah, there generally aren't research-only positions anymore at a uni. Um, so typically you need to get funding either through a grant, which is um, a, you know, a pile of money to support a project and associated staff, or you can get a fellowship, which is just for salary for you. And um, I've been fortunate in that I've had um, a couple of fellowships which have always supported my salary. Um, but they're extremely competitive and they're getting tougher and tougher to get. So 
um, that, that is always hard. And the other option you can do to get a position at a uni is to take on a teaching and research role, but you're sort of splitting your time then between teaching and research, which is obviously not as good because it means less research, so you're less competitive for grants and fellowships moving forward, I think. But yeah, right. um, yeah it depends because you've got to try and balance out the time with the teaching and the research. So and it depends what kind of units or, you know, courses that they put on you as well. Yeah, like, absolutely. Because you won't really get much of a choice. You're like, teaching this unit, X yeah. amount of hours. And then you have to fit your research in around your teaching schedule and things like that. And, you know, I spent, well, I spent a couple of years doing that and I found out it wasn't for me. So... Um, and it's very hard with the type of research I do to fit that in around teaching as well. Especially because so. you do clinical work where you see patients, don't you? Correct, yeah. yeah. So if you were doing sort of, I mean, I do a bit of both, like lab, animal and clinical work, but I guess a lot of clinical work. And I think that's probably harder to fit in around teaching because, yeah, you really need certain time periods to see patients and things like that. And obviously, if you can't see patients where you're teaching, that also makes it difficult as well. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it also depends on where you're going perhaps with your career if you have that balance if you do want to be 100% a researcher then having that sort of split time is not exactly beneficial to your career that's mm-hmm. right yeah. yeah and you know it does provide you with a certain amount of stability having that split time because usually you can get a position at a uni because you know the trade-off is you're teaching but yeah. yeah if it's not what you want to do and I sort of I appreciate teachers and lecturers and everything but I quickly discovered after a couple of years it wasn't <laughs> what I wanted to do yeah so and also, like you said, the trade-off of having the the financial stability as well as the job and the contract, but it's just not a trade-off that you would make personally. No. Plus all the kind of politics, I guess, that goes on behind the scenes, working in certain places yeah, more than others. Yeah, the politics of teaching, the admin load of teaching, mm. all that kind of stuff. And, I mean, yeah, look, I, I basically I gave that up to go back into contract work in research yeah. because... You know, that's how much I prefer to do research. So To each their own. Yeah, and I think, you know, mental health is important in this. You've got to be happy doing what you're doing. Yeah. I think if you're going in and it's, you know, 50% of your job is not what you want to do, then it's a real struggle, so... Yeah, me thinking about my PhD. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent of what I don't want to do. <laughs> uh, some days. No, <laughs> I can others. I can relate to that today. So yeah. Okay, so I guess along the way after your PhD, you mentioned that you tried to apply for a couple of jobs, and the PhD kind of fell in in your lap. Um, I guess after that, what kind of projects did you start working on? And what have you been working on throughout the years? Any accomplishments and challenges along the way? Um, so, yeah, I guess when you first come out of PhD, you, you know, you, you're sort of working for, as I said, I worked for my supervisors and then did the overseas postdoc where it was still a joint project with my supervisor in Australia and the guy who I worked with in America. And a lot of that kind of just uh, flowed on from my PhD. So I stayed in cardiovascular, obviously, and just expanded some of the things that I'd found in my PhD and, and took those moving forward. But, you know, I guess over the years, then you start to collaborate with different people, you learn new techniques and new, you know, things to do. And so that's when your research starts to broaden and you start to work out what focus you want to take your research in, which has has kind of changed a bit for me over the years um, and I probably I don't really tend to stick to just one specific topic because I like to have a bit of variety um, but I think it's yeah it's I mean it's obviously always stayed in cardiovascular disease yeah I think um, when I was looking up honours projects and you know you had posted the T one which mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting but then along the way you had done studies on like 
other types of nutrients and things like coffee and how that affects your heart and tea and um you know you did like an apple study as well you know yeah i was involved in all those things yeah Yeah, i mean obviously the nutrition side of it was a big focus of my um earlier research probably less so now but um you know it's one of these things that i guess the first advice and treatment of cardiovascular disease is to improve your diet and lifestyle and we all know that this is true we all know that fruit and veggies are good for <laughs> but us, do we but do none it, of us do it <laughs> so myself included so i did a lot of research in that area but i'm probably um moving away a bit from that now because i feel to me i mean while it's important that's not sort of a huge area of interest for me anymore i feel a lot of it is you know we know a lot of these things and yeah okay we don't fully understand all the mechanisms but it's there are other areas that are sort of taking up my interest now so such as um so again i guess and this still ties into what i did in my phd but more along the lines of um vascular function and the development of atherosclerosis which has built up a fat in the arteries and then how we can treat that prevent that lipid disorders and things like that so it's all still related yeah microbiome which i guess also ties into nutrition and things like that mm. so it's still related it's just less of a focus on specific nutrients sounds like you've got your fingers in a lot of different things which are kind of related especially with a bigger picture of cardiovascular yeah, but you know jack of all trades master of none i guess yeah, that's the trade-off, that's a trade-off. it is and it is hard to work that out you know do you want to sp- uh, focus specifically on one little thing and have a niche area or do you want to broaden your horizons and have a few and i just i don't know what the right answer for that is but I guess well, it's comes I guess, down to what you like to look at and what research you yeah. want to do. So When it comes to writing grants, at least you kind of have a selection of different projects and ideas that could maybe... This is true, but you don't have a strong track record <laughs> yeah. in any particular one, I guess. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's yeah. how you spin the story as well. So. Definitely. Very interesting. back so Nat first question right off the block what's it like supervising students and um be honest there... <laughs> 100% truth right now please uh, interesting yeah. okay. in a nutshell yeah no it's it's interesting it's um rewarding for sure um can be frustrating at times um I'm sure that they probably think the same thing about being supervised um but yeah no it's good it's I really I know I said before that teaching isn't for me, but I find supervising students in a research role to be very um, fun and satisfying and yeah, rewarding. I do enjoy that side of the teaching part of things, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Because yeah, it's definitely not for every person, is it? No, I don't think so. Just like with teaching, it's a certain personality and what have you that wants to do that. It's the same for supervising a student in a research capacity, so yeah. Yeah. Speaking of teaching, like how would that compare? Like you're, when teaching, you have a group of 30, 50 or more students, depending on the teaching environment. How does that compare to supervising when you actually have one or two? Yeah, you do. So there's less pressure because I guess you've got more focus on like, you know, one or two particular people. Um, the other thing I would say about supervising research students is that they tend to be there because they want to be there because they've made the decision to go on and do extra study after yeah. their degree. Um, so they're probably more motivated um, to do that. Whereas in teaching, I kind of feel like eh, they're there because they think they have to be or mm-hmm. you know, they're showing up to class because they have to sort of thing. So there's maybe slightly less motivation. I could be wrong. <laughs> this is just my perspective <laughs> of it. But yeah, it's, it's sort of, I find more enjoyable supervising students rather than teaching. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I'm the other way around. I don't think I'd be able to, because <laughs> I feel like with, 
the classroom interaction, you help them and that, and then your time with them kind of eventually comes to an end very quickly and you don't really get too personal, I guess. Mm. Whereas mm. with research students, it's like you're kind of, it's like they're your... Work parent? Yeah, work yeah. parent, work child. You're constantly, you know, kind of trying to grow them and in the beginning you might have to hold their hand a lot and then yeah, it's very I mean, intense. Yeah, true, but I actually find that almost better because... You aren't restricted by time or by, you know, other, I guess, other courses that the student Mm. might be doing or anything like that. This is just the pure focus of the research project. So you can really get engaged with the student and help them. And, you know, that's fine. I I think helping them is part of being a supervisor. It's what you're supposed to do. But, yeah, this gives you much more opportunity. Whereas in teaching, I think there's an expectation that they walk into class, they learn something, you've taught it to them, and then they leave and they should know it. And that's not always the case. So... Um, I think, yeah, the pressure on the teaching side is much more than supervising in some ways. Wow. And I get that opportunity to hone in on that particular skill. Yeah. 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 And how do you find these students, or I guess the students would find you, you would put a project <laughs> um, up? Yeah, it actually can be very tough finding students because, yeah, it's not sort of, I don't know, I guess most people probably don't think about doing further degree, like uh, further study in research after their degree. Um, so it can be tough. So usually you have to recruit them through teaching or um, unis can often put out, uh, say, honours booklets, which is, you know, the honours project is effectively the final year of your degree, but you do it sort of separate to your undergraduate degree. And then if you get a good student in honours, you do everything you can to convince them to stay on for a PhD <laughs> because they're worth their weight in gold. And you've already invested all this time yes. making them perfect that you want to hang on to them. So. It's like, come work for me, you know, like a kind of, they're an extension of your projects, I guess, as well. Yeah, anyway. absolutely. So, yeah. you know, like how I convinced you to come back. <laughs> it was also at the time, we kind of have a similar kind of PhD story in the sense that um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do after honours and the PhD just kind of came up and I was doing some casual teaching and then I was like, I can't keep doing just casual teaching. I have to do something mm. else. So <laughs> I guess doing this kind of delayed... Growing up? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> well, I think for you as well because you you do have that interest in teaching, which mm. is great, and I think if you want to... Um, teach and go far with teaching at a university you do need that PhD behind you for whatever reason it certainly helps you go further so I think in that side of things it wasn't a total waste for you to come into a PhD don't drop out (laughs) (laughs) yeah no we're we're getting there um so you put up these projects so you think up of these grand ideas these grand projects make sure they're feasible to do in the amount of time that you would have that student for yes honors one year masters or less than one year actually uh yeah pretty much it's really only what eight months Maybe, and masters by research ideally you would have at least two years with them and a PhD three to four years do you have a preference or what kind of students have you worked with in the past I've worked with all three Um, actually I've worked with undergraduate research students as well but that's usually very short term so maybe like eight weeks Um, I've worked with honours I've had about seven or eight of them Um, I've had about three or four masters students I've got one now and then I've had five PhD and I've got two that are currently still going PhD And my preference would absolutely be PhD students. <laughs> in fact, in reverse order, it would be PhD, Masters, Honours. Um, only because a PhD student is a little bit more established and familiar with the process, so it's less hand-holding. And it's, um, you know, they're kind of motivated to do the project themselves and move it forward, whereas Honours is really the student's first 
um, opportunity to do research, their first introduction to research. And while I get that, it's just a lot more work from the supervisor's point of view to kind of get them through. And it's a much shorter time period and often very, very stressful for the student. <laughs> yeah, no, thinking back, I think we mentioned a few episodes uh, on his experience, but I think generally overall, I really enjoyed my honours year. Which... Oh, I really hated my honours year. Oh, really? <laughs> In fact, I didn't really love my undergraduate either. I would say my love of it really happened during my PhD, and even that was tough at times. But yeah, I didn't particularly enjoy honours, so which is mm. kind of strange that I then went on to keep going <laughs> at uni. So. No, I think I enjoyed my honours. But because, that's because you had an awesome supervisor. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, mostly in part because of your supervising and also because I think the project was so interesting um, yeah. as well. Yeah, and I mean, the, that's the a huge study. part of it. So it's not just about the supervisor, it's also about the project. So yeah. you've got to be interested and you've got to want to get this done because it is a stressful, really, really time-compact period. So. Yeah, no, we've um, mentioned that before, the trade-off between having a good project or a good supervisor, and I think we both agree that probably the supervisor is more important than the project. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think so, yeah, because if you've got a good supervisor, they can get you through anything. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. I, look, for as much as my PhD was great, the entire thing was negative, and that was really mm. depressing, <laughs> but it was good in that, you know, I got through it, and I learned a whole lot from it, and I got stuff out of it, but yeah, at the end of the Hear day. Hear that, everyone? There's still hope yet. Everything <laughs> There is. A negative result is just as, maybe even more important than a positive result. So Okay, no, that's a good way to put it. But it's just unfortunate because publication bias means that mostly positive results are Get published. published. Yeah. yeah, right. I think there's also merit to a good supervisor in that not only they get you through the project, but they perhaps get you further into your research career. Like if you have a bad supervisor, bad experience, or you have a good project, it's, it's, I think it's lower, less likely that you're going to continue with them, continue in that area. And it's sort of... No, affects your motivation to carry on and yeah, pursue. Yeah, absolutely. I would yeah. totally agree with that. I think you're less likely to stay involved with research, yeah, with a crappy supervisor. We actually just recorded an episode which will be coming out soon on, you know, we've reached out to some students and they've anonymous, anonymously sent in some experiences about bad supervisors <laughs> but also on the flip side there is going to be an episode on on good supervisors now you mentioned at the start that obviously you've had good and bad and now you are a supervisor <laughs> so how have you kind of developed your style I guess or is it like a trial and error I, th I feel like it is a trial and error I would say that there are sometimes I've looked back and think eh, I probably could have done that slightly differently um but one thing I probably do always try to do is to come at it as in I'm not necessarily your supervisor slash boss but more of a, I don't know a mentor or someone who's here to help you I want the relationship to be informal and friendly so I don't want it to be yeah you know strictly that's formal, interesting like I'm your boss or anything because I don't from, think that works from the episode we just recorded there were like common themes of students just going you know, they didn't have time for me. They were very unapproachable. I had no idea what I was doing. And um, it was just very, like, cold. Not cold, but, mm. you know, there was some big professor or doctor in a big group. And mm. obviously, like, that's already a struggle in itself. But yeah. you're kind of, like, the opposite, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, look, I get it. Because at the end of the day, people take on students because, and this will sound terrible, but it's free labour for us to get projects done. But, the, you know, we're also getting something out of it. We're getting a student that we're teaching. We're getting publications. Work's getting done. But, you know, you have to be careful about not taking on too many, over committing, and then you have no time for them. So I do kind of tend to restrict myself with how many students I take on. And the type is in, you know, honours versus PhD because, you know, I want to I invest in them as well and try and get the project done because that's ultimately going to reflect on me as well. So... 
Yeah. I want to make sure that I don't overload myself because I hate the idea of not being able to give to them what they need because having experienced it, you know, not yeah. receiving it from my own supervisors, that, yeah, I know what it's like. So yeah. I'd prefer to be approachable, available, and but keep it very informal. So... More yeah. like we're friends. <laughs> but at the same time, there's still obviously like a line that... There is, yeah. And that's, I guess, probably the hard part is you've got to make sure that you do still have that um, relationship where if, you know, at the end of the day, you need to say, listen, this needs to start, this needs to get done or what have you, that you can. And I'm not saying that to you and Dilla right now. So it's, it's quite Please don't. I can't, I can't take any more of stress this week. <laughs> but I think also... Um, You've, you've probably had a lot of challenging sort of conversations and discussions, you know, in the past as oh, well. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, it's not yeah, an easy yeah job. it's not, it's, yeah, it's, you know, look, there'll be personality clashes and cultural clashes, all sorts of clashes and things, you know, just, uh, I think that sometimes you could just get to a point where you just know it's not going to work out. And um, often, particularly, say, for masters and PhD, it's not just one supervisor. And I think that's really important because you do need to have other people there to sort of help pick up when, for example, you and a student are not having a great relationship mm-hmm. or it's just not working out, so. Yeah, in one of the um, submissions, a student said that her supervisor and her co-supervisor actually didn't get along. And oh, God, yeah, that could be a nightmare. <laughs> they actually ended up, like, you know, having two separate meetings. They couldn't be in the same room. And then eventually, you know, I think one of them had to leave and they had to get new people in to, into the group. Has something like that ever happened to you before? Have you ever heard of other people, um... colleagues having this issue? And also, doesn't it seem very unprofessional, especially towards yeah, the students? Absolutely, it's unprofessional. I mean, I'm, yeah, it's that kind of thing is is really bad, and that's the kind of stuff that needs to be, you know, reported to graduate research school because that's completely not the fault of the student. It's not fair to the student at all that two supervisors can't get along, and that they even agree to take on a student in that it's situation. Like, in the oh, first a, a divorce, like your yeah, work like parents. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're in the middle because you can't say anything, can you? No, you can't because there is that power thing as well that this person is supervising you. They're the one that's going to be ultimately responsible for signing off on your submission of your PhD or whatever it is. So you can't mess with that because you may not get to submit. So that makes it really difficult. Um, I personally haven't been involved in anything like that where I've had issues with a co-supervisor of a student. So, And I really hope I never have that moving forward. Doesn't sound pleasant. Not at all. Have you had students come to you that you kind of go, you're not giving me a good vibe, I don't want to take you on? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How do you let them... Um, (laughs) So I've had students that have come to me and straight off the bat I'm thinking, yeah, this is not going to happen. And I basically, you know, look, I I give them the spiel, I tell them about the project, I give them that opportunity, I let them ask questions and that, but ultimately if I don't get the right vibe, then I'll just say, look, I'm sorry that this project's been assigned to someone else or something (laughs) like that. Yeah, it is a cop-out, but it's, you know, I think it's... At least you're letting them down gently. Yeah, and I mean, you know, look... It's, it is hard to know what to say to them, but you have to, especially if it's a PhD, you're talking about three or four year investment um, to get a project that you've probably had to secure funding for and everything. So it's, it is a big investment. You've got to be sure, which is not to say I always get it right because I've also had students come to me who seem fantastic, really enthusiastic, motivated, week one, and they're complete crap. And I'm like, what have I got myself in for? <laughs> yeah. So that can be tough as well. And have you had students that have started off, but then for whatever reason have had to stop? Yeah. 
Yep, I've had people who have basically quit after six weeks because they quickly realised it wasn't for them. Um, I had another student who just, I don't know, didn't show up and I caught him working at Dome and we ultimately <laughs> oh, no. kicked him out. <laughs> and a year later he came back and asked if he could finish the project with me. And, no, absolutely not. So, yeah, I've had, yeah, all sorts of things. Interesting. Then I've had students that have come, as I said, fantastic, and yeah, partway through they're not fantastic, but you just have to keep going, and that becomes a lot of work and a lot of effort to get them over the line. Yeah. Um, it's an investment. It is. Yeah. It is, yeah. It's a massive commitment. Can you tell us? Sorry, I was going to say, you seem like quite a flexible, down to earth kind of chill person. If that person <laughs> if that person had come up to you and maybe they were having issues, they couldn't continue their project, you know, I'm sure you would have been happy to arrange like a, you know, focus on your yeah absolutely absolutely and I do always try and stress that that you know look you don't need to just come to me about the research project it's about everything you know like I I am your work parent basically I mean you technically should be seeing me almost 40 hours a week basically it's like a job so if there is something bothering the student then I always try and make it clear that you can come and speak to me about it because I would much rather try and solve the problem than let it compound and get out of hand. Actually, <laughs> <Never> no. <laughs> no, no, you really do do a good job of that. I'm just thinking back last week, um, I was really, really, really stressed. And then I think this was Monday and Tuesday and I was talking to Ben about it. And I was like, oh, it's okay. Nat's coming in tomorrow. Nat's coming in tomorrow. We'll, we'll have a bit of a chat. you to say I'm not. You did not come in. <laughs> but I texted to tell you I wasn't. First of all, you didn't come in. So I was stressed for like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. No, we then... had a good text conversation. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that, that helped a lot, actually. Yeah. I was telling Ben, so I think that really helped calm me down a bit. And then I think today we had that meeting as yeah. well, so that was good. I mean, I think it, it can be hard when, say, a student that you are supervising is also not always at the same site that you're at. That, that does make things difficult because... You know, in addition, I guess that's the other thing is for me, balancing stuff, in addition to supervising students, I've got my own work going on as well. Yeah, and I need course. to pay attention to all of it, but... Um, I realise that the student is not just an investment in a project, it's an investment in the person. So they do deserve a lot of your time and, yeah, that, that can be a struggle and I do feel sometimes bad that I don't always get here all the <laughs> no, time to see it's you. it's okay. So. I think, do you, would you agree that in the beginning, for example, I'm in my third-ish year now, in the beginning you obviously <laughs> had to hold my hand a little bit more. Obviously you were pretty much here a lot. I was here a lot. We were having weekly meetings yeah. and that's kind of eased a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think so. But I mean, even, you know, having had you as an honour student and, and even just the progress and change from that to even within the first year of the PhD, it was, you know, things changed over time. And I think, yeah, as you become more confident, you become more comfortable with your project and, and how to get it done, that those things, you don't necessarily always need to have them like that throughout the whole PhD, but the option is there to keep having meetings and regular contact if you need it. Yeah. And I think it... Things go up and down. I'm pretty sure I said this to you that the second year you always hit a wall and think, what the hell am I doing? You were right. (laughs) It happened to me. It happens to everyone. I guarantee it. And it often can last the whole second year, if not longer. Um, COVID didn't help. Yeah, COVID messed everything up. But um, it can be really hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And that, to get people through that period, can be tough. And, you know, I know I remember it, even though it happened (laughs) nearly two decades ago. (laughs) But I still remember what it was like. So um, I hope that I can kind of convey a a positive approach to getting you through it. And I think also it's not just your role as a supervisor, you're a mentor slash friend slash therapist slash, (laughs) you know, all, all sorts of things. So it's it's Turn definitely TV watch out. Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's, it's important to have role. conversations about lots of things, not just the work. That's you know, mm. you need to have a good 
relationship with the student, but yeah, mm. don't make the focus all on work and the project. So, because yeah. there's more to life than that. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah. takes the edge off as well. Oh, like absolutely. Yeah. 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 But I think for the and student, for the supervisor too. And for the supervisor <laughs> yeah. too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think with a supervisor, they can probably see the bigger picture, whereas our students, we're kind of stuck in this whole, you know, I, I need to do this, I need to get this research, I need to get my PhD, and that's just kind of so black and white sometimes. Yeah, I think so. And I think also that sometimes students can get into the mentality that, you know, this PhD is so important and I can't fail, I can't mess mm. it up. And the reality is, you know, very few supervisors will ever let a student mess up a PhD to the point that they're going to fail because... That's in no one's interest, and we, we certainly don't want you to, so we'll do everything we can to push you over the line, so, and in the best way that we can. So I think, yeah, you're right, we probably do see the bigger picture because we've lived through it and done yeah. it. And, yep. yeah, come the out power the of side. hindsight. Yeah, absolutely, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, there were periods where I hated my PhD, but I look back on it now as being fantastic, and it's got me to the point <laughs> I'm at in life, so I hope that oh, you two can so both positive. do that one day as well. I look forward to that. I really hope so too. <laughs> It's, it's really hard to see past anything right now because of yeah, the is. recruitment and dealing with people oh, yeah. and patients. We're stuck in that tunnel look, trying to find the end. Yeah, absolutely. And it's tough. Like, don't get me wrong. And this is kind of rich coming from me considering that I'm a glass half empty, glass doesn't exist kind of person in general. So, <laughs> But I think when it's related to someone else and what they're going through, I can see it's, it's a bit different for me. So I can, you know, I've lived it, experienced it, come out the other side and you guys will too. And do you tend to keep in touch? I know you, you worked with your supervisor and you're currently kind of still working with them mm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. Are there students that you've worked with previously that you've continued to work with, that you've stayed in touch with? Um, what's that relationship been yeah, like? Yeah, so I mean certainly previous students I've kept in touch with. Um, some of them have gone on to do other things so I'm not necessarily working with them anymore but for a small period of time I might have continued working with them but it's just that they've moved on to something else. But yeah, definitely keep in touch with them so... Yeah, write references for them if they need it. So <laughs> great, good some, to hear. Some fall away though, and I never hear or hear from them again. But really? often that's I think probably related more to them changing fields and just going and doing something completely different. So yeah, it's yeah. understandable. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of... Research isn't for everyone, and sometimes it can take doing honours or a PhD to discover that. Yeah, <laughs> what an experience that is. <laughs> yeah, trial by fire. <laughs> So now, can you tell us some of the qualities that a student should have? Oh, you missed one. Can we talk about some of the best? Did we? Do we talk about some of the best best and worst students you've ever had? Well, I mean, obviously it goes without saying that you were one of my best. Really? No, you you can be honest. (laughs) Tell tell us us about some of the best and worst students you've ever had and why I'm in the best category. (laughs) You show up. (laughs) That's always a I mean, honestly, some of the worst students I've had, yeah, like the guy that was um, basically never showed up and there he was, you know, I busted him working at Dome full time and he, you know, he basically completely ignored everything I said to him and he would just, you know... Was that a PhD? He was an honour student, um, but he was, yeah, it was sort of a new program and he, I don't know, he just just wasn't a right fit for any of us and he was, yeah, he was tough work and ultimately it was like, yeah, look, this isn't working out for him and this is not working out for me and I can't remember who ended the arrangement, but it ended and that was, I was very glad when he left, so... 
yeah, it's a, it's tough when you're, you know, you're asking a student to do something. They've said yes, they want to invest in it, and then they just don't even bother showing up or you know yeah. extending you the courtesy of letting you know or anything like that. Yeah. So that can be tough. So. Certainly a good student, the first one would be to show up. <laughs> <laughs> I think like having, obviously, like, because for us, we have that scholarship. So I feel like if we didn't show up and it had, you have the added pressure of being here. Like you can't just walk away from something like that as yeah. easily, I think. I think receiving the scholarship makes it feel more like a job. Yeah, so, yeah. and I feel, yeah. I feel like that's a good way to look at it. And it kind yeah. of is a job in a way, um, yeah. but yeah. It's, it kind of holds you a bit more accountable because you yeah you're getting this paycheck it's not much but it's something mm. and it saves you working at like Red Dot or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's wrong with working at Red Dot? I did I that for almost ten years. I did Pizza Hut, so no yeah. judgment. Yeah, I did all, all kinds of things. What, what have I done? Woolies, Hungry Jacks. Oh, yeah, I did the supermarket too. Seven Eleven, Red Dot. Um, wow. Yeah, I've done it all. Wow, <laughs> Bit of fast food, servo, retail. It gives yeah. you a real appreciation for people and I think yeah. just generally you become a very negative person well, after dealing with the public yeah, for that long. Good practice for you to do clinical research when you're dealing oh, with the public too. I so. honestly cannot wait for it to be over. No, no <laughs> offence. The project is great and I'm learning a lot. It is like a massive learning curve. I don't know. I think I would actually enjoy it or not feel as pressured to do it if I didn't have this timeline hanging over my head. Yeah, I, I'm, I know what you're saying, and I, but I think, um, I, again, I think probably students put too much focus on that timeline and it's hard not to because you have this deadline of when your scholarship's going to end and it's due date of when you get your thesis in and times have changed. I know when I did my PhD, the deadline wasn't as tight. I think you almost had 10 years to finish your PhD. So, wow. but yeah, the uni got sick of people not finishing <laughs> them. Um, so they cracked down on that and they've shortened it now. But um, yeah, I think that that it's good in that it's forcing people to get stuff done, but it's bad because I think students put so much pressure on themselves. It's probably unwarranted because I think again, you know, you will get it done and the supervisor's not going to let you not get it done. But yeah, you've just got this idea in your about, head yeah. that I've got to get this done by a certain time period. Especially because obviously you're this way and then maybe <laughs> <laughs> the other half of the of the supervisory yeah. team is very... Um, yeah, and that's where different personalities come into it all. It can be tough, yeah. And then I feel like I'm in the middle and I'm like, I just do the best you can and then, I don't know, sometimes you feel bad that you're not doing more. No, I mean, but that's all you can do and that's honestly that's all I ever ask of my students is to just do the best that they can. I understand that, you know, life gets in the way, things go wrong, mistakes happen, nothing's ever going to be perfect. My PhD had lots of missing data points and all sorts of things. It's just how it is and again, I think that for a student it's harder to see when you're in the PhD doing it but for me, with the benefit of hindsight and experience, you can see it, so. Ben, it sounds so nice on the other side. It really does. <laughs> it is, it is nice on the other side. I'm going oh. to join it. <laughs> One day. Um, so, yeah, so, sorry, you were saying about best and worst students, so obviously showing up yeah, and having showing an interest up. in that So project. I think, so the two things that would probably be for a, a, the best students are obviously for showing up, but having motivation and interest in the project. Like, you know, you have to be independent to a certain extent where you actually really genuinely want to get that project done that it's not just something you're doing for the sake of a PhD or because you think your supervisor wants it done you have to be invested in it so um, and that's where it's really important to make sure you find people who have like looked at the projects and that they are doing it because they generally want to do it so yeah yeah and some of the worst students you've had apart from like not showing up and uh, doing other things or yeah, I mean, I've not had students 
do this, but I've heard of the ones that fake oh. results, <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. which is really, really bad. Um, there's been some actually um, news stories about this that's happened. So yeah, the really? students just make up results. Um, yeah, students that just, I guess, um, lie about things that they've done, students that say yes, for things when they don't actually ever intend on doing them but they just tell you yes because they think that's what you want to hear so that that kind of stuff is very very hard um yeah you're only cheating yourself aren't you? you are but it's a disservice to the person who's given you this project and is investing all this time in you as well because at the end of the day that work's going to be published it's going to have your name and the supervisor's name on it and if it's all crap then it's pretty bad <laughs> No one wants to retract their paper. And it's not good ethics, I guess. No, absolutely Cause not. Because, like, we've spoken about ethics. When you start a project, mm. obviously, you've got to apply and do all the right mm. things. Mm. And, you know, if you're doing clinical, there's good mm. clinical practice mm -hmm. as well. So. And this is where the whole thing with, you know, positive results comes in because people just think... And this is actually probably one thing that's really funny when you take on a student is you have a, a hypothesis for a project and if mm. that hypothesis doesn't isn't correct at the end, the student automatically thinks they've done something wrong. Yeah. It's happened with almost every student I've had and you I have to explain that, that, you know, if you've done all the proper um, procedures, yeah. lab, whatever, if you've got the positive and negative controls and they've worked, the result is what the result is. And you haven't done anything wrong, it's just that we didn't prove the hypothesis. And that's completely fine, but because there's so much emphasis on a positive result and everyone wants to prove something that that can be um, detrimental to the student um, mental health wise and also <laughs> it can in some instances lead to yeah, things being made up or not accurately presented because they're so convinced that they should actually prove what they were setting out to prove. Is there any like reper repercussions on the supervisor if um, that kind of happens as yeah, well? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because ultimately the supervisor is supervising that student so they're going to be held accountable for, for it. And if people pick up on it though, not... Yeah, it true. If it time. doesn't get caught, then yeah, I guess it's, you know, yeah. things fly, but often these things get found out, so yeah. And thinking back to the episode where they were really good supervisors, but they were also really, really bad ones not made out to be a supervisor. Do you, like, obviously you don't take classes and stuff, but, you know, do you chat with your colleagues and, you know, talk about your students or things that, like, how could I improve as a supervisor or, like, because um, it just seems like some teachers aren't meant to be teaching and some yeah. supervisors really aren't meant to have students, which is just so unfair to yeah, those students. Yeah, I agree. And I think part of that is just personality. Like, it's not necessarily something you can teach or learn. It's just certain people are good with people and certain people mm. aren't. So, um yeah, I think there's that side of things. I don't think I specifically ever sit down and talk to my colleagues and say, right, how could I have done this better or what, you know, oh what my makes God, guess what my student did today. No, we do talk about students, <laughs> my student's definitely. so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so, not like that. But, but no, we do talk about them. But no, I think it's probably, yeah, trial and error. It's a process of learning and just seeing what other people do and what you think works and doesn't work, so... Will you keep having students? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, but I, I guess the other part is is that the good relationship is also it's you know it's a match <laughs> compatibility between the student and the supervisor. So you can have fantastic supervisors, but there'll be one particular student that they just don't gel with, and that will never work out. Even though with all the other students they had, they were a great supervisor. So. I just had a business idea. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like. 
like Tinder, of dating, but, but if, for yeah. supervisors and projects, and you just swipe yeah, until it. you match. Yeah, that could be good, actually. Don't steal my idea, people. I'm onto something here. I was just thinking about the personalities that's what we were talking about. Yeah, um, you can pick personality episodes. traits, and you can pick, yeah. like, maybe certain universities if you're already attached to a uni, and you mm-hmm. can pick, you know, your keywords. Like, I'm interested in cancer or cardiovascular disease, and a whole list of things will come up. Yeah, I mean, like, that's probably what drives the, the student-supervisor relationship to begin with, is that either someone's like I'm really interested in this topic so who's working in this field and then they'll go and approach you or I've worked with this person before like in honours they were really fantastic I don't really care what projects they've got on because I just really want to work with this person and if you can find when those two overlap together then it's perfect Mm. so yeah I mean you're not always going to get along with them with everyone of course not no one gets along with everyone 100% of the time it's just life I guess but yeah yeah, no, it's so important. Yeah. Definitely to have a supervisor you get along with. Mm. Um, so what would you recommend as some of the qualities a student should have to be successful in research, to sort of um, be successful in their research area? And I think motivation is absolutely key because, yeah, at the end of the day, um, research and a career in research is tough because, as I said, you typically don't get employed by university, so you are constantly having to find money to support yourself, your own salary and your research. So you've really got to be motivated. Some people would say crazy um, because you just keep doing this over and over again, no matter how tough it is. Um, But, yeah, motivation would be key. And if you think about it, you can research like anything in the world. And I mean, for people like us who look within the body, how can we ever look at something and say 100% that this has happened because of this? Because everything like works together. Like I'm thinking about my project specifically. So gut microbiome, right? There's so many different bacteria. Mm-hmm. They do so many different things and interact. Mm-hmm. And we eat and we exercise and we take certain drugs. Mm-hmm. And how can we ever look at the results and say you know, this has happened because of this, which is linked to this, the mechanism behind is this, and we think X, Y, Z, and this is my thesis. (laughs) But I think that's the beauty of research is that, and, you know, one of the things I do love about it is that it's so flexible, and if something comes up that seems interesting or is unexpected to what you thought you were going to find, you can go with it and you can explore it further. And that's what I really love about it because there's this flexibility to just follow what you are interested in um, and keep going until you either get an answer that sort of makes sense or you hit a brick wall and you go somewhere else. So, um, But I think that's, that's the whole thing. You're constantly learning and maybe this is, again, part of the whole education thing. You're constantly challenging yourself and learning new things new ideas, new parts of whatever it is you're looking at. So, And I guess we wouldn't be where we are today without all the research that we've done. No, that's so. right. I mean, you know, evidence-based medicine, right? Certainly yes. in our field. <laughs> really quite exciting seeing the small painting of your results and then forever expanding on it and learning about it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the whole thing about a PhD is you're contributing something new to the field that's not been looked at before. And that, no matter how small it is, that's an achievement in itself. So you have put something out there that no one else has necessarily looked at before. Mm. That's, you know, that's kind of cool, even if it goes nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. So to... Two last kind of things, I guess, based on, I know the episode's not out yet, but when you get around to listening to it, do you have any tips for students who are struggling with having supervisors that are not ideal for them? Oh, yeah, I mean, look, that's really tough. What would you advise? Um, I mean, I would always, always recommend trying to have a dialogue and a conversation with your supervisor. I know that that's easier said than done because, yeah, it can just be to the point where the relationship's broken down, you're not getting anywhere. Um, I think it's really important to have a support network of fellow students that can help you. Um, 
maybe even other people uh, like supervisory people that are mentors, not necessarily supervising your project, but other people that are, uh, I guess, higher up that you can go to and talk to, get advice from. But yeah, worst comes to the worst and it has to go to the university, then it becomes hard and an issue. So yeah, whatever it is, I would say, talk to people about it. Don't let it fester and do nothing because it will just implode. Mm. And what would you say to supervisors who take on students <laughs> that, and then not obviously putting in enough time and effort with them? Yeah, I'm like, why are you doing this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I don't know what you can say to someone like that because... Yeah. I mean, I understand they get busy and sometimes they're so high up and other things come in the way, but I think you have a certain duty when you take on a student. Oh, yeah, absolutely do. I mean, I know people who've got 15 PhD students and that to me just seems ludicrous. Wow, that That's is... Insane. Yeah, like, how can you devote equal amount of time and, you know, uh, worthwhile time to those students when you've got so many and you've got your own job to do? That just seems crazy, but... Yeah, some people it works, some people I don't know. I would be pulling my hair out, like yeah. I don't know how you would do that around 15 the top. <laughs> yeah, personally. 15 a deal is like <laughs> <laughs> needing talking off ledges, yeah, that, that wouldn't work. Maybe that's an idea for future students who want to get into research then. When they start up that conversation with their potential supervisor asking about the, the project, they can ask, you know, how, how, many many, how big is the lab, how yeah. many students are you handling, yeah. you know, that could be a... Yeah, I mean, I guess, the, yeah, definitely I think that's worth um, asking and even postdocs as well because the postdoc will often be the one that picks up the slack of the supervisor that's not there and at least that's an experienced person who's in the lab. So it's good if you if the group does have a postdoc where you can go to them if there's a supervisor isn't around. But, yeah, when you've got one supervisor and there are 15 other students all being supervised by that same person, I'd probably be looking around for some alternatives personally. Yeah. Oh, some of those stories were just horrific yeah and see. it's sad that it's happened to people that we kind of know and know of as well mm, so mm. i think we find ourselves quite lucky um so i think that brings us to the end of the episode i think that you've talked a lot about you know your your past and what it's like supervising students which i think is a good perspective for us as students to listen to as well coming off the back of a good and a bad supervisor episode <laughs> yeah. so it's good to see the insights um it's great for us as a student yeah to get inside the mind of a supervisor see where that where you go as well it's, yeah it's hard to see outside of that that project that you're stuck in you're so involved engrossed in it's just it's good to hear what can happen on the other end and yeah. opportunities that can come up yeah, and definitely. that it's not all doom and gloom you will make it through <laughs> and you will come out the other side i hope so I and then hope... you get the cool part where you get to put doctor in front of your name and yeah, that's, i thought you, know... you were going to say the good part you get to supervise students yeah that too <laughs> no not for me i think or a postdoc <laughs> postdoc is a great mm. reason to travel that's always good to go and do that so yeah. but yeah that's can be tough because you never know who you're going to end up working for yeah that's it no um, but i think like coming from being one of your students like having been through honours and PhD with you um like you you are like one of the good ones and <laughs> I feel so lucky that I have you as a mentor and a supervisor and um all my friends know I'm obsessed with you anyway so. <laughs> well, <laughs> it thank works you. out I feel very fortunate to have had you as a student oh and thank still you. Have you as a student I hope so. you can see the growth from honours through Absolutely. to PhD Absolutely. and even though it's a constant battle between it's not a constant <laughs> battle <laughs> It feels like that inside my head, but I think, yeah, you obviously deal with it very well. Yeah. 
So yes, you deal with it very well, and I know I'm probably not the easiest sort of person to work with. So no, it's completely not true at all. But yeah, it, this all comes back to this is all you guys are doing at the moment. So this is your focus, and that you just it all comes down to that, and that all you can see is this project and getting it done. Whereas for me, I've got other things going on. I've been through this before. It's I yeah. know it's tough, but I know that you will both make it through. So. Thank you. Oh, it's just Sometimes nice, you so just nice to hear. <laughs> I told you, Thank now you. I can talk anyone off any ledge. <laughs> Which, as I said, is rich for me, yeah. considering my personality. But anyway. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? It is. I'm so negative with everything about myself. Yeah, I've noticed that. Other people. <laughs> you just know the right things yeah, to say. Maybe. <laughs> I think, though, um, sometimes you just need a vent or you just need your supervisor to be like, you're doing okay. Like, it's not, you know, the be all and end all. Like, just, just, I think on. venting is important. I mean, you've heard me vent about other things. So <laughs> I think it is important to get it off your chest because, yeah, sometimes it's just, you just got to say it and then you can let it go and move on or you can hash it out and solve the problem. So, yeah. Don't underestimate the power of a chat. That's, that's, right. that's the motto, isn't yeah. it? All right. Well, TV recommendation. Oh, yes. We often chats. do talk about that, don't we? And we books. Yes. We're not all about movies. Yes. What are you watching? What's good? Uh, well, I'm watching the second season of Snowpiercer, finally. So. <laughs> I keep telling Ben to start Snowpiercer. Um, it's on my list. It's actually, like, third on my list. I'm not watching much at the moment, so it, it's... <laughs> My Netflix list is so long. I don't yeah. know how I'm going to get through it all, but yeah, that's what I'm watching at the moment. Come yeah. for the PhD, stay for the movie recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, Snowpiercer is getting really good. I don't think I'm watching much else. There was um, that documentary. What was that? The hotel, the Cecil oh, Hotel yeah, one. Yeah. That was interesting. That was interesting, but yeah. I like the first and the last yeah, episode. They, they, they <laughs> dra- yeah, they dragged it on a bit. Yeah, yeah. And are you reading anything interesting? Um, actually, the book I'm reading that right now, I don't love it, so I wouldn't recommend it. For book club? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. But if you do want to read a good book, it's a biography. I've told you about this before. Oh, the, the surgeon. surgeon. Yeah, the Stephen surgeon. Westerby's stories yeah. of cardiothoracic surgery. It's fan- It's fascinating. And fact, just I listen to it, and he narrates it, so it's really, really good. And just briefly for our listeners, what's the story about? Um, basically, he's a cardiothoracic surgeon, and during med school, he was in a rugby injury that cracked his skull and did brain damage, and it changed his personality overnight. And he went from being kind of a normal guy to an arrogant ass who was a massive <laughs> risk taker. But as a result of that, he took on all the cases that no one wanted to take, and he was actually quite successful with a lot of them. So, yeah, wow. interesting. He's got two books out, they're both really, really good. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like kind of like a Grey's Anatomy episode. <laughs> I'm probably thinking more House because that guy seems a bit, yeah, yeah. Okay. like the same kind of personality. But oh, that's Dr. awesome. Yeah. I must admit, I never watched House. So, so we've got um, a show recommendation and a new book recommendation. So that would be interesting. But um, thank you so much, Nat, for your time. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah. me. Thank you for coming on the show thank and you. sharing your experiences with us. <laughs> yeah, and feel free to, you know, do this as a weekly thing. Just yeah, come together yeah. and have a little therapy session. Yes. It always helps. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm always here for you to chat and vent too, but I'm happy to come back on the show too. And if our listeners want someone to vent to and need advice, reach out. We'll we'll let (laughs) know. My hourly (laughs) rate. It might have to be like a segment where people send us in stuff they need help with. Yeah, and I can talk you through it. Yeah, give some advice. Yeah, like a kind of like. We'll have to have a disclaimer at the end, though. At the end, yeah, this is not professional advice. Yeah, (laughs) please don't sue me. (laughs) No, thank you so much, and thanks to our listeners for sticking around and having a listen to us again this week. Yeah. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for tuning in. To make sure you don't miss out on our structured rambling, follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at So You Think You Can PhD. You can also check out our website on Podpage and Anchor FM. Please rate and review the show, let us know your feedback, and if there's anything you'd like to hear on a future episode. Or even just to say, hey, we'd love to hear from you. No, 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 no. Serious inquiries only, please. Thanks again. Bye.